So you guys are a good looking bunch of people this morning, excited about the word. Here you go, Heather. So today we are continuing in our series that we've started called Drinking Poison, How to Overcome Offense. And the whole bottom line for this series is that taking offense is like drinking poison and then hoping that it kills the other person. We talked about the difference between feeling offended and being offended and taking offense, all right? And so Jesus, we found out that Jesus said offenses are going to come. You are going to be offended. But the Greek word for offend is scandalon, and it actually talks about a bait stick, a bait stick or a snare, and that taking offense or holding offense or walking in offense, it's a trap. It will poison your life. But the good news is that even though you may feel offended, you do not have to take offense. And taking offense just means that we desire to hurt other people who have wounded us. It's, it's kind of like the little boy who was sitting on a park bench in obvious agony. And this man walks up and he sees him in agony, agony and he says, what's wrong, son? And the boy answered, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. So the man trying to figure out why he's sitting on a bumblebee, he asks, so why don't you just get up? And the boy replies, because I figured that I'm hurting him before more than he's hurting me. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about how to get up off the bumblebee. How to pull yourself out of the agony of being poisoned by taking offense or walking in offense. And the healing process begins when we get up off the park bench. Because holding offense, because the other person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, is like drinking poison and hoping it's going to kill them. Now, for some of us, we're not exactly sure how to let go of offense or how to forgive other people. And I would like to just say, look, I know it's not easy. And sometimes, just to be totally transparent, a lot of us, we don't want to. We've got so much pain caused by other people, we don't want to get up off the bumblebee. For some of us, it's worth the pain and agony that we go through to har in harboring unforgiveness and taking offense just to inflict pain on those who have hurt us. And just to be honest, some of us, we don't know how to forgive. We're not even sure what forgiveness is, and we have questions. So if I still feel the pain, does that mean I've, forg I've forgiven or no? If I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore, have I forgiven them or not? If I don't want them in my life anymore, does that mean I'm harboring offense and unforgiveness? A lot of us, we wrestle with it and we think it's gone and then something happens and man, those feelings of resentment and pain and even wishing failure on the other person, that pops up into our mind. So does that mean we haven't forgiven Sometimes the process of forgiveness, it can actually be more, forgive, more painful than the offense itself. And a lot of you just suppressing that anger and that bitterness instead of working through the forgiveness, it can actually eat away at your heart, your mental health, and actually, watch this, your physical health. In fact, research indicates that unprocessed forgiveness and anger, it can actually produce all kinds of physical disorders, physical problems brought on by anger and unforgiveness and resentment. It can range all the way from arthritis to asthma, from urinary disorders to the common cold. This is research. And we know for a long time that, that unforgiveness causes serious emotional disorders when it's not handled, handled effectively. But it's hard to handle effectively when we're, some of us are not even sure what forgiveness actually is. 
And here's the thing. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Corey Ten Boom said, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I like that. See, you can still feel hurt and forgive. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. You see, you can still feel hurt and give up your right to hurt, to, to hurt somebody else because they hurt you. You can still be angry and give up your right to hurt somebody else because they hurt you. You can still forgive somebody and still also not trust somebody. You see, forgiveness is not trust. Trust usually comes later when true restoration takes place. That's a whole other thing. And so when you forgive somebody, doesn't mean that you trust them or even respect them again. It is simply you giving up your right for hurting them because they hurt you. And yes, even though Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, that doesn't necessarily mean that you trust that person again. See, that has to be earned back. Is that right? All right. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is also not your approval of the offense either. So just because you've forgiven doesn't mean that you approve of the offense or what they did to you. It means that you're choosing to be bigger than the offense. Okay? And forgiveness is also not a lack of justice. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that justice and restoration is not expected. Okay? Now, you can decide, in addition to forgiveness, you can decide if you are owed something or somebody does, has, has broken something of yours, you can decide to overlook that, but that's not forgiveness in and of itself. Now, if you want justice specifically in order to hurt them, as opposed to just for justice's sake, then that's something that we've got to search our own heart for. Okay? Now, bottom line, this is forgiveness. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. That's it. It's me giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. Now, this can apply in all different areas of life. It can apply in our families. Like we said, those closest to us are the people who have the biggest knives. Did you know that? They're the ones that can hurt us the most. But forgiveness is giving, me giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. Friends, same thing. Your country, politics, same thing. See, you're going to have to understand that people are going to make mistakes, yourself included. And it can happen to you at work when people are dishonest, unethical, immoral in order to get in front of you, right? Forgiveness is going to have to happen there, all right? So at school, even a lot of times with teachers or authorities that are over us, when they don't treat us fairly. But the comforting news is that we all go through it. And the even better news is that there's story after story in the Bible of people who actually struggled with unforgiveness. And Jesus, having been born as a man, and the Bible says being tempted with everything that man is tempted with, he understood what it was like to be tempted with unforgiveness, to be offended, to feel offended. And in fact, we get a glimpse into a teaching moment Jesus had with Peter. And in fact, I think the other disciples were listening in because we know that at least one of them heard heard it because Matthew record, records it in his account. And what happened was Jesus, or Peter, before he would offend Jesus in the worst way, the night before Jesus was taken to be crucified, Peter, offend, or P Peter deserted him. Months earlier, Peter had been offended by somebody, probably his brother, Andrew, one of the disciples. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks the question that seems ridiculous 
because we know that he would be one of the worst offenders of, of all months later. He didn't know that yet. And we have the advantage to know that he would betray Jesus only hours after claiming his dying loyalty to him. And it's in that context that this question that Peter asks seems small and petty. But he didn't understand the size of his own failure, his own sins, because it hadn't actually happened yet. So it seemed like a legitimate question to him at the time. And so in Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? How many times do I, how many times before I could actually take offense and hold offense? Up to seven times, which seemed like a big number. In fact, the Pharisees at that time had a rule. It wasn't a biblical rule. It was just a rule that they had made up that you had to forgive somebody three times. But after the third time, you no longer had to forgive them. You could hold offense. You could whack them if you wanted. But, and so Peter comes to Jesus, and he says, well, you're better than the Pharisees, obviously. So I'm assuming that you would demand more than three times, You know that it would be more than three. So six is double, so let's go one past that. Seven, that sounds like a very spiritual number. So how about seven times, Jesus? And from a human point of view, it does make sense that there would be some limit to how much we have to forgive people. How much are we going to have to endure? But the kingdom of God is a little different. Because in the next verse, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. Some translations translate that as 70 times seven. And so Jesus gives him a math problem as an answer. Right? How many times do I have to forgive? And Peter's like, well, do I... But the answer is endlessly, 77 times. How do I even keep up with that? Well, you can't keep up with it. And yes, that's the point, is that we forgive endlessly. And the reason we forgive endlessly is not for their sake, so that they can just continue. The reason why we have to forgive endlessly is because taking offense and holding offense, it poisons you. It does not get back at them. Dale Carnegie put it this way. He says, when, you, when we hate our enemies, we get, give them power over us. Our enemies would dance with joy if they only knew how much they were worrying us, lacerating us, and getting even with us. Isn't it true? And it's because of this that Jesus tells Peter, forgive endlessly. But he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on and he tells him a parable on forgiveness in verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven. So he's explaining to us how God thinks about things, okay? How the kingdom of heaven is. And he says, it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he, and he began the settlement, and the man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. It's like Jesus is just making up the most enormous amount of money that he could think of. In the Greek, the word there in the Greek, it, was, it meant 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was worth 20 years of wages. Think about it. 10,000 bags of gold or talents, 10,000 times 20 years wages is 200,000 years of wages. I think this was on purpose. I think Jesus makes sure, just like he did with the number of times that we are to forgive, that the number is unfathomable. Jesus makes sure to use a ridiculous amount of money to represent the debt of sin that this man had. 
And I think the reason he does that is because he's going somewhere. Quiz. In this, in this parable, who do you think the king is? Put it in the chat, those of you here. Who is it? It's God. Yeah. And then the servant that owes 10,000 bags of gold, who does that represent? Us or Peter, right? So for, for us, if we had 2,000 years of income worth of debt, what does that represent? Our sin against God. A problem here is that the servant was responsible for his own debt. And there is absolutely no way imaginable that he could pay off 200,000 years of income. And I think that was his point. Verse 25 says, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, that they all be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him, and he begs, Be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. And the truth is, there is no way he could pay that back. But the price for his debt was so excruciating that he's just begging. He's saying anything that he can to get out of it. I mean, what would you do if you and your entire family were going to be sold into slavery for the rest of your lives to pay for your debt? It was your fault. So this man, he understands the weight of his own debt to the king. And then in verse 27, the servant's master then takes pity on him, and he doesn't just extend the debt. He cancels the debt in full and lets him go. And so this whole parable is an absolutely beautiful parallel to our life with the king, right? See, the debt that we have is our own sin. And there is absolutely no way, no matter how good you are, there's no way that you can pay for your own sin. People think, well, if I'm good enough, I'll get into heaven. But the truth is, you'll never, ever be able to repay that debt. It's like 200,000 years of income. And Jesus came, took pity on us, paid the debt, canceled the debt for us, and freeing us from our sins forever. Now, Jesus could have stopped there, and it would have been an amazing lesson. Just on the goodness of God and salvation and who he is of us and our, his forgiveness. But there was just one problem. Jesus was trying to explain another truth. And in fact, a very hard truth. And we'll get there in a minute, but let's continue with the story first. So in verse 28, that same servant that the king forgave 200,000 years worth of income and debt, he goes out and he founds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, in the Greek, it calls it a hundred denarii. And denarii was a plural of denarii, okay? And a denarii was one silver coin that represented one day's wages. So this guy only owns a hundred days' wages. And when you think about a third of what you make in a year, that's basically what he owed. And so he grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he says, pay back what you owe me, he demands. And then the symmetry of Jesus' story here is amazing because this Second service falls on his knees and he begs him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same thing that the original servant said. But the, the difference is this guy can actually pay it back. When the original servant, he could never pay it back within 200,000 years. But he refused. And instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. 
But then when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told the master, the king, everything that had happened. And the master, this king, called the original servant in that he had forgiven all that debt, 200,000 years worth, even though there was no way he could repay it himself. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? And in anger, his master hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that he owed. And then Jesus makes this statement that, I, let me be honest with you, it's troubling. It's shocking. Because it actually makes the poison that we're talking about that you drink, if you take offense and if you hold offense and you walk it under forgiveness, it makes that poison eternal. Because in verse 35, he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. What Jesus is saying is, is that forgiveness is not just a good thing to do. It's not going to just be something that helps you, you know, spirit, soul, and body here on this earth. Forgiveness is actually a requirement of salvation. Your salvation is his forgiveness of you. And what Jesus is doing here is he's connecting God's forgiveness with our forgiveness. And he uses this parable and he uses such extremes when he's telling it to describe our debt. That we could never, ever repay it. And that he, as our king, just wipes it away. It's a beautiful but difficult and terrifying parable. It's this picture that God's forgiveness of us is connected with our forgiveness of other people. In fact, it's all through his teachings, even the Lord's Prayer. So his disciples come to him and they said, hey, John the Baptist, he taught his disciples how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer has been presented to many of us as something you just recite every now and then. But it actually, it's a framework for how we should pray every single day. And so he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Starts out with worship. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, we're giving our lives over to him, his will first. Next, give us our daily bread. In other words, help provide for us, God. Okay? And then he ties these two things together again. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. He connects the two. He ties the forgiveness of our sins to our forgiveness of others. And just, just in case we didn't get this subtle hint, he goes on in verse 14. And he says again, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that would seem incredibly tough if we didn't understand the debt of 10,000 bags of gold. The debt of our sin is immeasurable. And what Jesus is doing is he's painting a very clear picture of how ridiculous it is when we don't forgive others. And the problem is it's very easy for us to minimize our own sin. So we're very good at, yeah, but my sin is not big as their sin. Oh, but I didn't do what they did. 
And you can easily minimize your own sin by comparing it with the sin of other people. However, what you cannot minimize is the payment for your sin. So it's not the fact that you have spiritual debt with sin. The question is this. What is it going to take for you to repay the debt for your sin? What does forgiveness actually entail? You see, to not forgive someone else, you have to minimize the payment for your own sin. So in order to become a follower of Christ, you've got to have your sins forgiven. Because Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short. In other words, we can't have a relationship with God. We can't go to heaven. If you have sin at all in any way that has not been paid for, the payment for your sin in Romans 6 says for the wages of sin is death. And that's not talking about physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death, hell. Well, yeah, but Micah, hell, really? That's just a figurative thing that we just go through here on earth, right? Well, that's a very convenient definition of hell. However, it wasn't the definition that Jesus or any of the writers of the Bible had. There is a hell. It's hot. I don't want to go there. But the way that we go there is simply this. We decide to pay for our own sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the forgiveness of the pain for your sin, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the problem is that we can all easily minimize our own sin. But what we can't do is minimize the payment for our sin, which was Jesus' death on the cross. So to not forgive someone else, you have to minimize the payment for your own sin. And if you minimize the payment for your own sin, listen, you minimize the very death of Jesus on the cross, which is a pretty scary place to be, especially if you can't figure out how to release forgiveness or unforgiveness. If emotionally you're locked in, and you don't know how to do it, this is terrifying. But within this parable is hidden the key for us to realize how to release offense and walk in forgiveness. And here's the key. You ready? The revelation of God's forgiveness in your life determines your capacity to forgive. If you ever struggle with unforgiveness or holding offense, taking offense, go back and become very aware of your 200,000 years worth of debt. How much does the forgiveness of your sin cost? How much did it cost him? How were you going to pay for it? How were you going to pay your sin off? It was 200,000 years worth of income. It was immeasurable. There's no way you could do it, and yet he did it for you. And so when we go back and we look at the price of our forgiveness... Our capacity to forgive begins to grow because we begin to see things as the Father sees them. And the more that we are aware of our own sin in our life and what the payment for that sin was, the more we get a revelation of God's forgiveness in our life. And then suddenly bitterness and resentment and offense, they begin to slowly melt away. And you could try to white knuckle it. I forgive them. I forgive them. But Jesus reveals to us the key of how to forgive, watch this, from the inside out. And that's to change our own heart by meditating on and getting a revelation of God's forgiveness. 
for your sins. Now watch this. We already learned what, forget, what unforgiveness is and what it's not, right? We know it's not a feeling. You could still feel hurt or even angry and still forgive. We know that it's not trust, all right? So you can still not trust somebody to be in your life and you can still forgive them. We know that it's not approval of the offense and we know it's not a lack of justice. We know that forgiveness is simply me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. And my friends, that is almost impossible to do from the outside in. But if you will do it from the inside out, just like in the parable, by being aware of the price that was paid for you, anything and everything that people would do to you pales in comparison. You know, the kingdom of God, it's all about living life from the inside out, right? Being changed from the inside out. You start out by changing the beliefs that you have on the inside. And then you can become who God made you to be on the outside. For instance, salvation, right? You don't, you don't get salvation from the outside in. There's no way that you can be good enough to pay off your debt of sin, Okay? You, can, you confess with your mouth that you believe that he is the son of God and you turn over your life to him and then you walk in it. In other words, you put the actions with your mouth. You walk the talk. Not so that you can be saved, but because you are saved. So you're walking the talk. And here's the thing. If you do that, then you are born again. Even if you don't feel like it. Even when you're tempted. Even when you mess up and come back and confess your sin again, you're still born again. It's from the inside out. And forgiveness works the same way. Watch this. If you will confess with your mouth that you forgive somebody and then walk the talk with your actions, even if maybe you don't feel like it, you have forgiven them. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't trust them, even if you're tempted, even if you mess up. And maybe you do, you say something and you, and you act out, letting unforgiveness slip back in. You can actually go back to them and forgive the, and confess that sin of unforgiveness. And then you're right back into forgiveness, just like you do in your salvation. It's from the inside out. Because remember, forgiveness is not your feeling. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. So here are the steps of forgiveness. First, know the payment for your sin. Confess that you forgive. And, watch, and under this confess that you forgive, the Bible says you need to go to your brother who offends you. You need to go to him. Well, yeah, but Micah, you don't understand. It's just going to make it worse if I go tell them that I'm offended. There's a million reasons why not to do this. But the Bible is clear. If your brother offends you, go let them know about it. Well, but there's a chance that people will get defensive and it's going to make things worse. But almost always, when I see brothers and sisters in offense with each other, it's almost always a lack of communication. And let me tell you this. Right now, the way that the culture that we live in is, where they won't let you talk about things, it's actually creating more harm than it is good. Open dialogue is how restoration happens. And I'm of the opinion that anything that shuts down open dialogue between two people actually causes more division than it helps. So go to them. Let them know your offense. 
that they offended you, but also let them know that you forgive them. You don't hold it against them. And then, so you confess that you do forgive them and then walk it out, even if you don't feel it. Walk it out. Walk the talk. And listen, watch this. It's a secret. If you'll do that, I'll guarantee you, you'll begin to change. Your emotions will change from the inside out. The feeling is not forgiveness, but your feelings will begin to change. Anger will begin to melt. Emotional pain will begin to heal. If you'll remember what was paid for you, what you owe, and you confess that forgiveness, and you walk the talk in forgiveness. You see, at the cross, all of us lost our excuse to refuse to to forgive other people. At that cross where we were forgiven for things that, look, we could all go on and on for the things that we were forgiven of. And every single one of us lost our right to hang on to offense and unforgiveness. So the question is, are you still hanging on? Or have we come to a place where we could say, you know what, even though I don't want to, I don't feel like it, I don't think they deserve it, I know I've lost my right to refuse to forgive others. And I understand that if I confess that I forgive them and I choose to act, I give up my right to hurt you for hurting me because the Father in heaven at that point will forgive me. And look, I do not want to give anybody control over me, over my emotions, only God, of my destiny. I don't want to let anybody to plant that seed, that poison in my heart that would destroy my life. And what about the world that we live in? Listen, do you want to change the world you live in? Are you unsatisfied with the world you live in? The great commission that Jesus gave us before he left, therefore go and make disciples, change the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was our great commission. If you're a Christian, that's why you breathe on this earth. And Jesus taught them exactly how to do that at the Last Supper, the night before he was arrested, when he said this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He forgave us of all of that sin. He made that huge payment, every offense. As I have loved you, so you must love one another and forgive every offense. And watch this. By this, everybody will know you're my disciples. This is how you're going to change the world if you love one another. You want to change your life? Forgive. Hold no offense. If you want to change the world that's around you, forgive. Hold no offense. And let me tell you, I know I love life way too much to mess it up with unforgiveness, to drink the poison of offense and unforgiveness. And I hope that you do too. Will you stand with me?